So uh, we love you if you are pulling for the 49ers. We just won't be friends. No, okay. <laughs> no, it's all kidding. It's great. Oh, man. We just came, like Dieter said, off a great conference, and, and uh, we just wanted to pay attention to this morning. We're going to be talking about you can't be serious. And if you want to go with me to Acts 9, verse 10 through 16, we'll jump into that this morning. And uh, I'll try not to keep you very long because I know that some of you have got stuff going on that you're preparing for today, but we will give honor to God and his word and time that we have together because that is what we're here for, right? Yeah. Let's show up. He's, we're asking him to show up, so we're here in body. Let's be here in mind and spirit, yes? So uh, let's, we'll, we'll be jumping into that. But we came off a, a great conference, and I, and I have to share this because I continue. My wife and I off and on through our ministry have work directly with or indirectly with with teens and and uh it's it's always been a joy and a pleasure to do it and and uh it's never a chore it's never the babysitting for me i always love teens i love young people i see that potential i i not just potential but i see what they can be and you see the diamonds in the rough and you see others you know they're just rough and you just love them and 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 you see what god can do but you know the uh, the other morning uh, without going too deep into the st- into the story, uh, God was just moving in a great way uh, in the morning, and and there were people that God was using to encourage these young people to to uh, speak a word that God was inspiring them with, impressing them on their heart to someone as God you know God was leading them to do this, and and they were given good instructions. So don't worry, it was it was not uh, something crazy and and out there. But um, but as I was worshiping, it seemed like that had died down, and as I was worshiping. Uh, I heard this sweet little voice next to me that came up to me, and, and she said, excuse me, and, and I was like, okay. Um, I thought I heard her over the music. It just kicked up. We were getting ready to go on with the next phase of the, of the, of the conference and everything, and, and I heard this real voice, sweet voice saying, excuse me, and, and I heard her talking and through all the music, and she said, does the name Emily mean anything to you? And, and I was like, wow, that's crazy. I thought, God, whatever you say next, that's crazy. That's crazy cool. And, and so I'm sitting here, and here's this probably maybe 20-something young lady that's just, I could tell she's like really focused in, and she begins to share, and I could hear little bits of it. And I'm going to confess to you, and I told him I was going to try to find her afterwards, but I could not hear anything that she was saying. I mean, she was trying to communicate to me, and I was, I was leaning in. Her, her, her mouth was right here in my ear, and I was like, I don't want to get too close to it. It's really weird, but I'm like as close as I can get, and still as she's speaking, man, I'm thinking, God, I want to hear this, and, um, and I couldn't hear it, and I just like I told Dieter later, I said, I wasn't going to be a weirdo and say, hey, can we go back here? That feels really weird, um, but, but you know what? I did catch her a little bit, and I was going to catch her afterwards, and she had to bolt out of there, so I never got to catch up with her. I did tell her, I said, without ever hearing anything else, I said, you know what? You're so on. You're just so on. And, and she, she just kind of looked, and she went back to her seat, and she said, how do you know what she said, and how do you know she was on? I was like, God, if you can drop the name of my daughter in the heart of a 20-something, doesn't know me from anybody across the room to come tell me something, it's going to be okay. Whatever it is, it's going to be okay, because if you just needed to say a name. And so this morning, uh, sometimes I know that we may struggle a little bit, as Dita was sharing, you know, to, to hear, it, uh, to, to zone in on hearing God, and, and as we're desiring to hear his direction and plans and, and what he wants for our life, you know, sometimes we just get a, a name, or we just get a piece, 
And that peace, even if we don't know all the other pieces, is enough to take us and to lead us and to open up a pathway for us to start moving in a direction as to where and who God, what God wants, God wants us to be and what God wants us to do. Now, that was not a directive word, but you know what it was? Is it, it, it was just saying that name immediately brought a peace over me because I thought, okay, it's something good. And you know, if you could just get a faith statement in your mind this morning, maybe it's not perfect now, maybe it's awful now, but you know what? God's up to something good, okay? And that's what we want to read about and break into our story today. Uh, it says, there was a disciple in Damascus by the name of Ananias, the master, this is from the message translation, spoke to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, master, he answered. Get up and go over to Straight Avenue. Ask at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus. His name is Saul. He's there praying. He has just had a dream in which he saw a man named Ananias enter the house and lay hands on him so he could see again. Ananias protested, Master, you can't be serious. There it is. Everybody's talking about this man and the terrible things he's been doing. His reign of terror against your people in Jerusalem. And now he's shown up here with papers from the chief priests that give him license to do the same to us. Have a little insider information there. But the master said, don't argue, go. I have picked him as my personal representative to non-Jews and kings and Jews. And now I'm about to show him what he's in for. The hard suffering that goes with this job. This morning, uh, just, uh, just to have a title, I'm out and just kind of put it up there. Are you serious or can you be serious? If you've been in uh, this thing long enough at all, or even if you're new to it, if you, can, you can go to chapter 9 of Acts and read about the amazing story of the conversion of the Apostle Paul and how he came to faith uh, in Christ. He was already a man of faith. He was already a man of great passion. And uh, I think if there's anything that, that we can uh, sometimes look at ourselves in the mirror at is when we begin to live our Christianity is passionless, and there's people sinning a lot more passionate than we're living for God passionately, amen? Uh, that, that's, that's some kinds of wake, a wake-up call. And, and so Paul, Paul, though he wasn't a party animal, he was definitely passionate about his life and about where he was going and what he was going to do. And he was so passionate, he was into hurting other people that weren't passionate about what he was passionate about. I don't know about you, but there's some things. I used to be a very passionate football uh, fan, and I, I am today still, but I kind of had a waning moment uh, in, my, in my history where I was kind of just didn't have time for it, et cetera. And then my wife caught fire, okay? My wife, she didn't, she didn't become a fan. She caught fire, okay? And uh, I mean, as in, I mean, I, I don't know what happened. We were married, I mean, I don't know, many years, 15 years. And I mean, she might watch a Rose Bowl with me and like, you know, just look at it, ask a question or something. And then one day, I don't know what storyline it was that brought her into it. And now all of a sudden, she's so into it and she's watching, she's learning everything. And she tells me one day, this is before we moved up here. She's like, uh, she goes, I need to pick a team. I need, I've got to pick a team. I've got to get a team that's, that's, that's really going somewhere that's, that's, that I, I'm going to like. I'm going to stick with them once I pick them. And, and, uh, and this is Russell Wilson's first year. And, uh, and and a bunch of the other uh, uh, players at that time, and she likes. She goes, I like him. And this is my wife talking. I love the way they play defense. I love the way that they tackle and the way they hit. And the way that, this is my wife. And so she's telling me all this. I'm like, okay. She's like, so I'm going to be a Seahawks fan. Before we ever knew we're moving, 
to Washington before we ever knew we were going to be up here, anything like that. So she's not an, a, a, just an adopted fan. She's a real fan. And so she gets into it. And what I've known is the escalation. Okay. It, it started with, this is my, I like football. This is now my team. To now she's telling, she knows who's on IR. She knows who could be coming on this season already, who they're looking at in free agency. She knows uh, who's going, who's coming. She knows uh, what she knows about. I didn't, I didn't even know Russell was having a second baby, and she tells me. I mean, I mean, suddenly she's a, a third baby. She got three. See, that's what I'm saying. She's passionate. Her passion grew. Her passion escalated. And, you know, with Paul the Apostle, he not only disliked Christians, he had a passion against Christians. He went out of his way. He did not, it was not mandated that he go and arrest Christians. He went to them and said, I want papers to arrest Christians. I want the, I want, I want you to make me a, a religious marshal, and I'm going to go out here and I'm going to arrest them. I'm going to beat them. I'm going to... I'm going to knock them around. If I have to have them stoned and judged, that's what it is. Matter of fact, he'd already done it. He was a young man. As a young man, he stood by as the elders of another group threw their cloaks at his feet while they killed the first Christian martyr by the name of Stephen. So he was serious. He wasn't just as he wasn't a psychopath, but he was so passionate about what he believed. And yet he was on it and he was on a mission. You know, you can be on mission and not even be on a mission for Christ. And you know, we all have our things that we're passionate about and we're pursuing and we're going hard after, and just like Paul is, but we can become so passionate about what we're passionate about, he didn't even realize he wasn't even on the mission that God had for his life. But he was definitely on a trajectory in order to meet that. So this morning, what I wanna, cha- what I wanna encourage you is, is that as you begin to find out, examine your passions this morning. Where are your passions taking you? What are your passions doing? You see, there are passions that can be positive passions. That doesn't have to all be just about, you know, uh, coming and praying and stuff. That should become a passion because the passion isn't prayer. The passion is to know God. So when we hear things about devotions, if you get locked into the devotional side of things, Paul was more devoted than any Christian in this room as a non-Christian. He had more passion about his beliefs than Christians, many Christians did as a non-Christian. But he had to redirect because he was missing the point. The point was a relationship with Jesus, knowing God. And so as he was on this trajectory, God said this, even though he was en route to do harm, at the same time, he wasn't outside of what God was going to go to the first point this morning, what God was going to orchestrate this morning. God was orchestrating something. So you see, even though there was a passion displacement, God still had a purpose he was putting in place. Even though there was a passion displacement, he was busy about so many other things, and not just busy, he was passionate. When I get busy about something, let me tell you something, I'm usually a pretty mellow, laid-back guy, but... You know when I'm, Dieter knows my mind is working about something when I'm about that something. My mind is after it, whether I'm going to get ready to do this or that. And my mind is something when we used to do summer camps. Man, I could, I'd stay up all night if I had to, trying to get it right, get something right. I'd stay up three in the morning trying to get it right the way that I wanted it right. When we'd have a, a team there setting up for students to come in the next day, we would work hard till we had it right. 
And so there's a passion that comes in there when you want things to be a certain way. And, and Paul, even though he had passion, he had displaced passion. But God still used his displaced passion to intersect with something else. God knocked him off his horse. A light shone down from heaven on his way, going this way. God redirected him, blinded him. How many here knows that God can let things happen in our life and orchestrate things in your life when your passion is off course from his course? He will send some things to blind you where you don't know what's going on and you don't understand what's going on and you don't see what's happening. You don't, you don't really get it. You can be like that, just like my voice, my Michael Jackson right there. So you can be, you can be in, that, in that position to, to really where you don't see it, but God, let me just put it this way. When you got a passion that's taking you away from him, God can jack you up and end you, take up taking you somewhere that is where he wants you to be. The jacking up part doesn't feel very good. Is it? It's disorienting. I imagine to Paul as he stood up and he couldn't see, but God, but they led him to, to, to Damascus. They led him on, and on his way there, I love this, while God is orchestrating this, God speaks, and this is what blows me away this morning. This, this is really just... In my devotion time, I was reading this, and it really ministered to me. I hope it ministers to you. God doesn't call and tap Simon Peter, the apostle, on the shoulder and say, hey, there's a guy, he's going to be an apostle, and he's going to take my name to the Gentiles. I know that, you know, okay, matter of fact, at this point, Peter hadn't even gone to the Gentiles first. He was en route to that. He hadn't done it yet, okay? So God is working on a guy that isn't, is messed up in his theology and messed up in his passions, and God is working on this guy, getting him ready for his mission. But yet at the same time, he's getting ready to open a door to our kind of people around here this, this today and in the U.S. and who are non-Jewish this morning that allow us into the covenant. And while that's happening, God knocks on the door, not of an apostle, because they weren't ready to hear it yet. Peter hadn't gone yet, so he wasn't ready to hear that. He wasn't ready to hear about what God's mission was for somebody else that was going to touch somebody else outside of our little group. But God went and he knocked on the door of a disciple. He, went, he knocked on the door of a disciple. What is a disciple? disciple? Disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ that has committed himself to his teaching and his way of life. A disciple, they're not somebody that shaves their head and wears robes and lives isolated and afraid they're going to be contaminated. A disciple is someone who is actively pursuing the teachings of Christ and pursuing a way of life that reflects who he is. Not a religion and a membership, but a person. So you got one guy passionate about religion. This guy's passionate about the person of Jesus Christ. This is mind-blowing because that means turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a disciple. If you're not, I pray you are before today's over with. He starts with ordinary people. God specializes in ordinary. Because the truth be told is that Simon Peeper, Peter, Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers this morning. Okay? Simon Peter, man, I'm all messed up. So Simon Peter, he used to be just like this guy. He started off just following Jesus. Okay, and I know I'm interjecting him in the story, but just for comparison this morning. Ananias is a follower. And let me tell you what, Ananias is not a Sunday church meeting follower. Ananias most likely ended up in this town because this guy that's coming to town that was going to kill the Christians and on a, 
on a misplaced passion, this guy was responsible and behind it a part of the death of the first martyr, which caused a dispersion of early church Christians for them to leave Jerusalem and Exodus in order to find safe haven. But here's what gets me. Why that sounds like fear to you, let me tell you what these crazy Christians did that fled there. They went off and shared their faith in other places. They only left for mortal danger. They didn't leave because they were weak, little, knee-shaking Christians wetting themselves in the corner. They went somewhere else because that God's message needed to be heard around the world. And while they went out, it wasn't the apostles. It was the youths, and it was the moms and dads and grandkids. It was the families that believed so passionately. They said, if i got to change my address to keep my relationship with God going and to fulfill the mission, I will change my address. I feel spiritually this morning, some people this morning need to change your spiritual address. Your address is comfortable with Jesus and your version of Christianity where you are, but it has, it has become something other than about Jesus. It's become about something other than Jesus, agreeing with what the Christians agree with, agreeing with what the TV shows and this and that. And I'm not saying that's all bad, but I'm saying after a while, we got so organized, it's not about Jesus we're organized. We're just organized about so we make sure that we don't bump the road too much and offend somebody with our our taste in entertainment or our taste in music or our taste in this and that. And while there's something to be said for holiness and being pure before God, let us not mistake that just because I don't look like you and act like you and think like you doesn't mean that I don't love God. Amen. So this morning, as we're looking at, at Ananias, man, he's a disciple. He's a real deal disciple. He is the real thing. Jesus knocks his door, and I love this. He says, Ananias, and I love this. He's like, yes, Lord. Man, I don't know about you, but if Jesus, like Jesus says, Tim, I'm like, whoa. You know, in a vision, he sees Jesus, and go to the next one for me. Now, suddenly, we're dealing with optics, how things look. We're getting ready to deal with something I like to call optics here, and that just simply means this, that as Ananias hears from, from Jesus, Jesus begins to lay out for Ananias what he wants him to do. Now, first, it's, here I am, Lord. Yes, yes, God. Jesus, you're talking to me, Jesus, anything you want. He's got an instant, instant attitude of surrender, instant attitude. It's not, well, I need to think about this. Maybe I had pizza last night. Maybe I'm having a little, I'm having some bad dream. Maybe I'm having some bad experience here, whatever, whatever it may be. No, on, on the contrary, what it is is he's beginning to think, he, he's, he's listening, and at first it's yes, God, until he begins to lay the plan out. Have you ever given God your yes, and then once you said yes, you're like, well, I know, I know that God's speaking until he tells, he's actually clearly communicating. You know, there, you know I, 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 I think that, I know for me personally, that there's times that I've wanted God to clearly communicate until he clearly communicated. <laughs> until he told me what I needed to do. And directed me in a way because that direction wasn't my preferred direction. It wasn't my happy place. Okay. It wasn't my passion. But Jesus was going to redirect his passion. And now Ananias is dealing with optics. Why? Why is he dealing with optics? Because in his view, he loves and trusts his master. But now he knows this guy that's coming. And he knows what he was. And he knows what he's been up to. And so in his mind, this is outside of his depth. It's outside of his experience. He's coming as an enemy. He's coming to harass. He's coming to, to, to do harm. And you're asking me to go and help him. That becomes outside of, in him, it's like outside of his depth chart, outside of where 
that he's dealing with. His perception is how to God, how God's going to make this thing a good thing is a little bit confusing to him. If you'll read that, he begins to protest this. Now think about this. You're talking about protesting God, right? Oh, God, I don't know about you. Growing up, I, I mean, for me, if you haven't been, like, you know, ever had experience as a young person with this, that's, that's totally cool. If you're new to this and, and, uh, and, or you've been serving the Lord and you got saved in your 30s or 40s or 50s or whatever, or when you were married or maybe even later, in, even later than life, wherever that is, there's that moment when we talk about passions where it's like anything God you want, but, you know, and our, and, our, and our point of view is, is whatever God wants is good. And then when God starts working and God starts operating and we see that that's going to cause us pain and it's going to cause us discomfort and it could endanger in a way, maybe not our life, but our pride or it could endanger our pers- our, our, uh, us emotionally where we have to make ourselves vulnerable to actually go and to talk to somebody who could tell us, get out of my face, Okay. Now suddenly we're, we begin to pull back from that because of the optics of that. How is that look? How is that going to work? God, I'm not really sure that I see that. You see, Paul couldn't see because now Paul became that blindness figuratively because everything he knew, he realized, wasn't his life got turned on its head. It wasn't what God wanted. God had something else. Now for Ananias, God has to blind him and take his side of his optics and shift it to it's not all about you. And it's not all about what you think. It's about what I'm telling you. It's about where I'm directing you because this is going somewhere. I want to encourage you just to look at somebody and say, this thing's going somewhere. I mean, that this thing's going somewhere. God's got a plan. God does have a purpose. This thing is going somewhere. God isn't just in the business of playing checkers with or chess with his kids and moving pieces around just for fun, just to see what happens, you know. I, I, don't, I don't think why he was, why he, if God looked away, which God doesn't, but if he could, you know, the angels changed all the pieces. I don't, I don't think that happens, okay? We're not dealing with Greek mythology. We're dealing with the God of heaven, all right? So as we deal with this, the optics of how things look don't always appear like they make sense or they seem outside of our depth or outside of our experience. When God speaks in a way to us that's outside of our experience, it can create a fear of the unknown. What is going to happen? You know, what does this mean? Whether it's need to seek forgiveness from someone, needing to repair a relationship, or needing, you say, I just wish we'd have closure, and then God says, I want you to go to this person. Go close it. Be the closer. No, God, God needs to touch them. God, now, God needs to have them call me. God, if it's your will, let them text me. Let them text me. And we'll sit down and we'll have a conversation. And then, Lord, then I'll be honest. And maybe God's saying, I want you to go and I want you to call them up and have coffee. Oh, they were wrong. Jesus, they need to pay for my coffee, okay? All right? No, it's not going to happen that way, right? Most of the time, it can. It can. But there's sometimes we wait and wait and we're waiting on God and God is speaking clearly and he's saying to him, I want you to get up. I want you to go down. I love this specific. I want you to go to a street. I'm going to give you the street. I'm going to give you the I'm going to give you the address. I'm going to give you the house that they're in. I'm going to make this real easy for you. But all you got to do is, is you got to go. Can you go to the next point for me? Now you got to put this in operation. See, God can talk all day. Well, I just need to hear from God. I'm, I'm going to tell you, man, I, I'm with you. I've, I'm, I am a guy. There's sometimes, there was one time 
Yeah, a, a co-worker. I ended up praying for a co-worker, and it was, it was amazing. It was, it was an exciting thing that God did. But I, I told God, like, I, I don't even know how many times. I, don't, I can't number it. If he says that one more time, God, he said something about uh, you know, something he was experiencing, and, and, and the Lord spoke to my heart and said, I want you to, to do this. Let me just pray for the guy. He wasn't a Christian, and we were in a workplace, and it was during the work hour. And I was like, you, you just tell me one more time. I'll do it, you know. I'll do it just, just one more time. And, he, and, 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 and you know what? Then he, and, and, and it came again, and, and the guy kept talking about the same problem. And then finally I was like, God, I promise. Okay, listen. And I thought, there's no way this, this is going to happen again. So I, I just kept giving, God so, giving him so many chances, so I thought I, w- I would, you know, I would just be, you know, out, outed on it. And finally he said it one more time. I was like, and I, and I ended up praying with the guy. But the point being is this, is operation is putting, be putting things in motion. Now, when we get beyond what we're seeing and, and what's stopping us and our fear of the unknown, and we got to get now in operation, we need to get beyond the fear of consequences. You see, when we talk about taking, uh, putting things into practice and operation, a lot of times we go from, I don't know what's going to happen to, if I do this, <laughs> what will they say? <laughs> if I do this, what will happen at my job? If I do this, what will their reaction be? And we start basing it on reaction and on a, a fear-based type thing. But you have to put things in operation. I think we sometimes we take, we take this Ananias. Jesus didn't say, I want you to go and I want you to, he did say, I want you to lay hands and pray for him and I'm going to to heal him. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. He, he needs, but he needs me. Have you, I'm, I'm going to just pause here for a second before I go one step further and just say, have you ever been, a, a God put somebody in your heart to minister to that you just didn't like them? Man, well, I, I did. And God's dealing with you to minister to them. You know, and it's like, man, I, I, there's times that I've been in a room full, of, a room full of people, and I knew they said things about me. They said things about who I was. They said about things about me. They were doing this, and you know what? I, I, I love that T-shirt we found in the mall here and over the weekend that the, the, the kids seemed to like it long. It was like, get a sword, name it kindness, and kill people with it, okay? I love that. I love that. that was the, that's the way I feel. I love that. Get a sword, name it kindness, and go kill people, okay? I love it. I love it. It was just, it was just great, right? That, that's, a, that's a gift, okay? But, but when it comes to operation, we can know, and we live in, a, in such an age of knowledge and knowing that we think because we know we've done it. <laughs> but knowing is not doing. I can know everything about how to run a race, how to, do, how to build something, how to do something, how to do this, to do that. I can know, and I can spurt off this, that, and triglycerides. I, if I, if I want to do that, I can start doing all this stuff, or whatever it is that you're into. And you know what, guess what? still don't mean that I've done it. You know, it still doesn't mean, because until you, you do it, it doesn't mean it's not important, doesn't mean it's not useful, but it doesn't become, it doesn't become effective until it's operated on. And so Ananias is being asked, which by his name, this is perfect to this point, his name means Yahweh is gracious. Okay? So he's asking him to flow in a gift of grace to someone who does not deserve grace. Isn't that irony? They don't deserve grace, God. What does grace mean? Undeserved favor? (laughs) 
they don't deserve it. They shouldn't have it. They, no, no, you know, they don't. Guess what? You know, last time I looked in the mirror, I don't deserve just about everything I got. I don't deserve my family. I don't deserve the second chances that God's given me. I don't deserve the times that, that I was less than perf <laughs> perfect, which is what date, what year, okay? That God has shown grace. But operating in grace is what will release the purpose and the passion that God desires to bring about. You see, here's what I want you to get. The obedience of Ananias is getting ready to not only minister to Saul at this time, but also he has no idea until, G until Jesus lays it out. He's going to suffer. And this is what I love about Ananias. <laughs> he becomes willing to do something when he finds out, oh, he's going to suffer? Okay, you know, I'm down with that, God. Okay, he's gonna, if he's going to suffer, then okay, yeah, I'll go and I'll talk to him then. Okay, did you notice that? It's kind of funny. Read that. It's actually funny. He does say that. He doesn't say that, but he, it, it says that, that when he starts to protest, Jesus says, don't argue with me. Are you arguing with him? What are you arguing with Jesus about this morning? Because I'm going to tell you, I'm willing to bank that it's just, just about everybody here has something even if it's underneath, buried under a, a thing called worship. If you take your pain into worship, it can be a powerful healing and, and uh, interconnectedness between you and God because God can meet you in your pain and in your hurt and in those areas. But if you take those things and bury it under that worship and bury it under there and you're trying to keep, keep it as you're trying to do all this spiritual stuff, it can be very lonely and after a while it's going to fester. And it's going to come up. But I love Jesus. He just says, don't argue with me. Just go, okay? And go to the next one for me. Be obedient. Just be obedient. Just go do it. Because let me tell you something. There are things, folks, we can know for days. We can talk about what gifts we feel like God has us. We can take as many gift tests that we want. We can read all these books about things that excite us about what we could be and what we could be doing, what we could become. But until you obey, you won't ever become that. Until you take action and obey, operation is, is, is doing something about what God has, has said in his word first, amen, because God's not going to say something outside that's going to negate his holy word, but that God does lead us into circumstances and in between situations that, to guide us by his Holy Spirit through what he's already said. And as he's doing that, the only way that happens is when we obey, and that's the only way that the healing happens, that the deliverance begins to take place, that the joy begins to happen. There's a scripture. I want to tell you, I read this scripture. Heard this, you know, my whole life. Many of you, some, there's so many here that could quote it without even thinking about it. But in Romans 8, 28, I've always grown up hearing, you know, that, um, that God, God works all things together for good for them that love him and those who are called according to his purpose. And that's a powerful, awesome scripture. But I read this in the, the Revised Standard the other day, and man, it really just jarred my thinking. And it said, God has caused all things to work together for good with those who love him. Prepositionally, God works in both the for you and the with you. Prepositionally, some of us are waiting for God to do something for us. We're waiting for God to move a mountain. We're waiting for God to move things into place. And there are times that absolutely timing is everything, and we need to be patient. I'm not condoning or, or uh, endorsing a mentality to just jump out there and do whatever, okay? So don't take that. But you can't take this to the bank. Sometimes he's going to do it for you, and sometimes 
God's going to say, I'll go with you down that street, Ananias, and I want you to take the gift I've given you of grace that you didn't deserve, and this person you're saying doesn't deserve it, I want you to go knock on that door, and when you're looking at them, and you, they're in their most vulnerable state, they're blind, he's blind, he's vulnerable, nobody, he don't know what this guy looks like, he could do anything, and he's there, and he sees him, and he walks up, I tell you what, this shows the measure of a man for me in this Ananias guy. He walks right up to Paul and he says, Brother Saul, ha, that's powerful, man. I want to stop right there, man. I just, that pumps me up. He doesn't say, Saul, persecutor of the church, murderer of the brethren, hater of Jesus Christ. Okay? No, you know what he says? He says, Brother Saul. He says, the Lord Jesus has sent me to you. And he said that you should be baptized, saved, and accept Christ and be baptized. And he laid his hands. He just did his part. He couldn't make this happen. He just laid hands on Saul, a disciple. And when he did, the scales, said like scales came off his eyes. His eyes, whatever this thing was that happens, or fell off where they were scabbed, whatever it was, fell off in that moment, and he could see, and he was baptized, and he hung out with disciples, and God started something in this man that would move him into be one of the greatest fathers in the early church, that you and I are sitting here today because of the Apostle Paul. We're sitting here today, if not, we'd still be out there banging drums, and I don't know what, we still do worship, we'd be worshiping, we'd, we, we would just be worshiping our sports teams exclusively, we'd be worshiping something else exclusively, our work, our, our you know, our cap, our money, whatever, we would do it more exclusively, and it would be out of control, but now, because of Paul, we have an ability, God used him to open a door, because two guys that didn't see it the same way, but were willing, and one man that was willing to operate in his gift of grace, even though he didn't feel like it. I love that. I love the paradoxes that God teaches in his word that he knows exists. He just tells to me it's not the word that's paradoxical. It's that God knows that we're paradoxical. Like when God says, when Paul tells the church, Romans, a, a church that was a mixed church that saw things differently, saw things differently. You had Jews and Gentiles living in that church. And God praised the Jews, but let him know, hey, just because you're Jewish doesn't mean that you're God's favorite and you're good to go no matter what. And to the Gentiles, he said, just because you've received grace and you've got opportunity doesn't mean that anything goes for you and you're off the hook. You have responsibilities even to tradition, not to, to see it to that which saves you, but that which honors God and brings you into a relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ so that you can be one body. And so he had a way of fusing these optics together through his gift, but that gift would not have been activated if somebody hadn't operated in their gift so this morning you flowing in the things that God has for you and you're looking at things this morning I can't help but but think this morning that there's some of us sometimes I know for me I can speak for myself that you know what I'm look I begin to look around and I begin to see how uh, thing, things but the way things are the way things could be in my own life and I start looking at the, this and, 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 and how this is wrong and that's wrong. I go back to a thing one time I told my daughter one time, uh, Jessie's now married to a wonderful uh, a man when, we, when she was just going through that phase of wanting to find the right dude and, uh, and do all this and, and, uh, and her just being so, getting flustered because I was that dad that would sit down and have the conversations, okay? 
I, would, I was that dad that would do that, and I would encourage her. I wasn't like, I wouldn't just squash her, but I would come in, and we would talk about it. And we would, and I would say, this is why I'm thinking this way, and this is why this. And, and you know, it would, didn't always ever go, go, always go over uh, well, but nonetheless, in her, in her heart, I, w- I would tell her, basically, I would say, listen, what happens in the choices that you're making, you know, they're going to affect your life. But I said, let me tell you something. And she'd get frustrated. I said, I know you're frustrated at me. I said, let me tell you something. There's coming a day when the, when the most greatest frustration you're going to experience in your life is not the decisions that other people are making that you have to live with. They're going to be decisions that you make you got to live with. All right? They're going to be decisions you make. And that's not just good medicine for teens and 20-somethings. That's medicine for us. I want to be able to hold somebody else accountable saying they're the reason why. Paul, Saul, for Ananias, Saul's the reason why this is happening. Someone else, this is the reason why. But in effect, God, God has us. We need to reflect in our, in our own self and our walk with God to say, hey, man, you know what, God? What decisions am I making? If I'm not extending grace, if I'm not operating in my gifts, if I'm not willing to see it from a different perspective, if I'm not willing to change, it's funny, when we're hurt, we want everybody else to change for us. That's just a fact. That's human nature. Everybody else should change for us. How was it sensitive? Maybe it was. But guess what? If you don't get your, th- your skin thickened up, you're going to be a pretty miserable person the rest of your life because people are always going to say something without even knowing it. And it's going to be heard, and it's going to be offended. And you can choose. I'm going to continue to go deeper and deeper in a shell back, or I'm going to say no. I'm not going to pray for that person. I'm not going to say yes to that. And I don't know what makes us think that we can just tell Jesus, no. Okay? And just think that there's not going to be a consequence. I think, you think Jesus would have found somebody else? I think he's pretty big God. He could have found somebody else. But what do you think about Ananias? He would have missed out on the opportunity to exercise the gift and to, and to do exactly what he was created to do. Just because God created us in his image, or created us anew in Jesus Christ, doesn't mean it comes easy. Can we stand to our feet this morning?